they are actually very close to one another. But Allah is more of a specific type of case where if you look at the narration of the hadith, everything looks authentic, everything looks fine. But if you study the hadith in closer detail, you will find that there has been a mistake made in the narration of the hadith that will cause that hadith to be rejected. For example, there is a statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Basically, uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud said that whatever the Muslims see as good, then Allah views it as good. And whatever the Muslims see as evil, then Allah views it as evil. So we have this narration from Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And we can trace it back to Abdullah bin Mas'ud authentically. However, what can happen sometimes, and what happened in this particular narration, is that one of the narrators who passed on this narration from Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he made a mistake, and that when he narrated it, he did not stop at Abdullah bin Mas'ud, but maybe by slip of tongue, or you know, just automatically, instead of just saying Abdullah bin Mas'ud, and Abdullah bin Mas'ud, or maybe the way that some people heard it from him, he said, An Abdullah bin Mas'ud, An Nabi Sallallahu So he did not stop at, on the authority of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, but he said, on the authority of the Prophet So now this has gone from a statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud to a hadith of the Prophet And if you look at the chain of this hadith, of this narration, everything looks fine. But, what the scholars did though is they, they gathered together all of the narrations that they could find for a particular hadith. And they would judge that hadith or the soundness of that hadith based on all of these narrations. So when they studied that particular narration they found again that there's a mistake, there's defect, even though everything looks fine. There was a mistake in the narration that it should be a statement of Abdullah bin Masood and not the statement of the Prophet. So as a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, this hadith is considered ma'lul or defective. But as a statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, it is a, a correct and sound statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And this, uh, these last two concepts of Allah or hidden defects or shudud or, or uh, going against stronger authority, this is both with respect to the chain and as well with respect to the text of the hadith. Some people, in particular the Orientalists, the Mustashriqeen, as well as some Muslims who have been influenced by them, they claim that the scholars of hadith simply looked at the isnad, at the chain of the hadith. And if the chain of the authorities looked fine, then they would accept the hadith no matter what the meaning of the hadith. And this is not true at all. Because this concept of shudud and illa, this is both with respect to the chain of the hadith as well as the text of the hadith. They would also study the text of the hadith to make sure that this text did not contradict anything stronger than it, any stronger hadith or even the Quran itself. They would also study the text of the hadith to make sure that there was no defect in the text of the hadith itself. So in order for a hadith to be graded as sahih, they studied both its text and its isna. And they did not just look at the isnad, but they studied both the text and the isnad before they would uh, categorize a hadith as an authentic hadith of Muhammad So if a hadith meets these five conditions, 
then it is graded as an authentic hadith, a hadith sahih. The hadith, for example, that one finds in Al-Bukhari and Muslim is a hadith of this nature, hadith that meet these conditions that the scholars have laid down for an authentic hadith. Now, as we said, or as is known, I guess I didn't actually say it, as is known, uh, as is well known in Sharia or in Fiqh, there are only two types of hadith that are considered acceptable, that one must believe in and one must act upon. The one hadith is called Sahih, that we just discussed. And the other kind of hadith which is also an authority in Islamic law are what is known as hadith Hassan. The difference between a hadith which is sahih and a hadith which is hasan. And here I'm talking about what they call sahih lidatihi wa hasan lidatihi. Yani sahih by itself and hasan by itself. The difference between them, if you look at those five conditions, there are obviously some of those conditions that you cannot compromise on. Like for example, if the chain is broken, if there is someone missing from the chain, and you cannot accept this hadith. Because if someone is missing from the chain, you have no idea what is the quality of that narrator who is missing from the chain. You cannot just automatically assume he's good or he's bad. So someone missing from the chain or the chain being broken, this is something that is, once again, and you cannot compromise on that issue. If someone, who is not, if someone is not adil, if he's not righteous, also this is an area in which the, the scholars will not compromise. Because this is the major area that will prevent the person from intentionally uh, forging hadith or intentionally saying something which is not correct from the Prophet Muhammad Obviously, if something is shad, if something contradicts stronger authority, also you cannot accept that. Because you have proof to show that this is not the correct narration. And again, if there is a kind of defect in the hadith, this is also unacceptable. So the only condition of those five conditions that can be uh, dealt with, so to speak, is the condition of proficiency. And that is because people are at different levels of proficiency. There are those scholars who rarely make any mistakes. You know, just like in, if you're going to school, going to university, and in general the university uh, in a class, they don't just pass the top students, the top 5% and then plunk everybody else, right? Those of you who have degrees, you know that. <laughs> and because if someone makes some mistakes, it doesn't mean that we're going to reject all of his hadith necessarily. So, if there is a person who is at the highest level of proficiency, then his hadith would be considered sahih. Scholars like Imam Malik, Zuhri, Shafi'i, these are narrators of hadith at the highest level of proficiency. And so we take the hadith and we call them sahih. At a little bit lower level are those people who make some mistakes, we know that they've made some mistakes and they make more mistakes than 
the people at the highest level. So we still accept their hadith. We accept their hadith, but we do not give it the highest grade. We do not call it sahih, but we call it hasan. And we protect ourselves from their mistakes by the last two conditions of there being no shudud and no ilm. And in other words, we study what they find, what they narrated. And as long as what they narrated are not contradicted by other authorities, as long as what they narrated, we cannot find any defect or mistake in what they narrated, then we accept their hadith and we call it the level of hasan. So we realize that they make mistakes, but we have taken the steps to make sure that the hadith that we accept from them are not those hadith in which they make mistakes. However, at the same time, we do not give those hadith the same grading that we give the top level of, of scholars. And instead of calling those hadith sahih, we call them hasan. But as I, as I mentioned, and if their narrations or the, such hadith are also accepted in fiqh, are accepted in sharia as authorities. So, the, as I said, the conditions for hadith to be sahih, there are five conditions quickly again. The chain must be uh, connected, unbroken, and the snad must be muttasil. Every narrator must be adil. Every narrator must be dhabit. And every narrator, in other words, must be uh, a person of integrity, and every narrator must be proficient. By the way, if someone is adil and dhabit, he fulfills those two conditions, he is called thiqa, or trustworthy, acceptable, yani trustworthy, thiqa. And the fourth condition is there can be no shudud, and he cannot contradict any strong authorities. And the last condition is there can be no illa or hidden defect, or hidden damaging defect. Again, if a hadith meets those conditions, it is called sahih. And if a hadith uh, meets those conditions except the level of uh, proficiency of the narrator is a little bit less than that hadith will be considered hasan. I think on this point uh, this is a good time uh, perhaps to to stop and we reviewed a little bit about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the sunnah of the Prophet and then we got into what is the definition of sahih hadith what do we mean when we say that a hadith is sahih as well as what do we mean when uh, we say that the hadith is hasan. And I think given our time constraints here, and inshallah that uh, we will have to suffice with that inshallah. Uh, inshallah, um, we still have some time for some refreshments because we're not slightly prepared, we've still got another 10, 10 or so minutes. Uh, in these 10 minutes inshallah we'll take some questions relating to this topic, so if anybody has any questions from the floor, um, please do ask. Or if anyone wants to write any questions, especially the sisters, if they want to write any questions, then please do send them down. Yeah, one question is that you just mentioned Uber bin Khattab, and one of his friends, he shares the time with, and one of these two are always with the Prophet Muhammad. And why there are so less hadith with his reference are in the book? What is the reason? Yeah. Yeah. So basically to, to repeat the question the, the brother is asking why for example do we not find that many hadith narrated on the authority of Umar al-Khattab as we do for example from other uh, yeah. Yeah. what we find uh, is that we 
uh, have a number of hadith or the largest number of hadith are coming from some of the younger sahaba or to be more specific coming from those sahaba who lived the longest time after the Prophet Muhammad so for example Abu Bakr Abu Bakr died just two years after the death of Prophet Muhammad during that time he was engaged in many uh, activities that took up most of his time uh, regarding to the khilaf and the fighting that uh, broke out and so forth and furthermore, most of the people who were with him at that time were also other Sahaba of the Prophet Muhammad So even if he quoted a hadith to them, they had already heard it from the Prophet Muhammad in general. So if they're going to narrate that later, they don't have to narrate it from Abu Bakr because they heard it from the Prophet themselves. So he died uh, shortly after the Prophet Muhammad Again, Umar Khattab, the same kind of thing occurred. And that, uh, he lived, of course, more years than, uh, than Abu Bakr. But the same kind of thing occurred. He was involved in many things that, that yani, he was not involved in the teaching of hadith like some of the other sahaba the were involved in teaching hadith. And furthermore, still the majority of the people around him at that time were companions of the Prophet Those people who went out, for example, those people that, such as Abdullah bin Masood that, that Amr Khattab sent to Kufa to teach or sent to different areas to teach, those are the ones that we have most hadith narrated from their authority because that was their job to go out and to teach the people, the new people who had just embraced Islam, those who were not Sahaba or companions of the Prophet ﷺ, who had not witnessed the Prophet ﷺ, they had to teach these people the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So that is why, and it was like their job to pass on this uh, this hadith, and that is why we find much more hadith narrated, for example, from Abdullah bin Mas'ud, than we find from Umar Khattab. And the longer a person lived, like Abu Huraira or Ibn Abbas or Anas ibn Malik, the more... And what happened over time also is when new people embraced Islam, if they would hear a hadith, for example, from someone in Basra, one of the tabi'in, or someone in Kufa, say, for example, one of the people in Kufa is telling them that Ibn Abbas, or Ibn Abbas narrated something from the Prophet ﷺ, so they would take the time to go to Mecca, to Ibn Abbas directly, and hear the hadith directly from, from Ibn Abbas. So those... Uh, sahaba who lived longer and those sahaba whose job was to teach the people about their deen those are the ones that we have the majority of hadith from that is why we find many more hadith from Ibn Mas'ud or Abu Hurairah than we find from Abu Bakr or Amr Khattab and so forth question here says some people say we shouldn't accept hadith related by Abu Hurairah because he did something wrong could you clarify this? <clears throat> As we talked about yesterday, the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and if you divorce the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad from Islam and leave the Quran open to different people to interpret it in any way that they wish, you will, in, in essence, you will destroy Islam. You will leave Islam uh, void of most of its actions, most of its deeds that we ca- that come from the Sunnah of the Prophet and this fact and this aspect was well known. It's well known among the Mustashriqeen today, the Orientalists today that we mentioned. And it was well known also among the people who are known as uh, Zanadaqa or those people who, when Islam started to spread, when Islam started to spread, they saw that they could not fight Islam from outside of Islam. So they entered into Islam and they began to fight Islam from inside Islam and started to spread 
fabricated hadith started to spread stories about uh, Abu Bakr and Umar and so forth. And one of the people that they attacked the most, even from those early generations, was Abu Hurairah himself because they realized how much of the sunnah was preserved and passed on by Abu Hurairah. So they began to spread uh, things about Abu Hurairah, uh, numerous things about him. But if you study them and if you trace them historically and authentically or try to authentic, authenticate them, you will find that these stories for the most part, or I should say these stories that they say about Abu Hurairah are not true whatsoever. And that the kind of claims that they do try to make Abu Hurairah which are based on authentic sources, they are usually misinterpretations and distortions of what those authentic sources say. This question says, when is the hadith considered a weak hadith? Well, I give you the five conditions for a hadith to be sahih and a hadith to be hasan. Basically, if a hadith fails to meet any of those five conditions, it will be classified as a weak hadith. So if the chain is broken, uh, if one of the narrators is not adil, or if one of the narrators is not dabat, or if there's some uh, shudud or illa, it will be considered a weak hadith. Now there is a kind of weak hadith that is raised to the level of hasan. This is where again you take those five conditions again and you take the condition of proficiency. Sometimes you'll find a narrator who is honest. We have no reason to doubt his honesty. But he is again not a scholar in the sense that he's not passing on hadith properly. He makes a lot of mistakes in his narration of hadith. So this person by himself, his hadith would be considered weak. But again, we have no doubt about his honesty. It's not his honesty or his integrity that we fear. It's just the fact that he's not good uh, academically speaking, or I guess you could call it academically speaking. He's not good in passing on hadith. So we reject this hadith because of that. However, if his narration is supported by others, who are also people who we trust, and if we trust their religiousness or their integrity, but we also have some uh, doubt about the correctness of their narrations. And if, if these narrators are not grossly mistaken in their narrations, and if they are not people who make gross mistakes, but they make enough mistakes that we will not accept their hadith on their own, if these narrators support one another, in the sense that we have different narrations from them that uh, remove the doubt or the question of there being a mistake in their narration, then we will accept those hadith which by themselves are weak, but when supported by one another, they are raised to the level of hasan, they are called hasan lighayrihi or hasan, and not on their own merit, but hasan due to uh, external support. <coughs> Question says, if there are hadith giving different opinions on a certain topic, which should we follow? For example, if one hadith says one thing and another hadith says something else. Now, <clears throat> well the first thing you have to determine is which of these hadith are authentic. And if one of these hadith is authentic and the other one is not authentic, then you follow the authentic hadith. If that's the, if that's the problem with the hadith, then that becomes very, very simple. <laughs> if both of them are authentic and they seem to contradict each other, then you have to study to determine whether or not there is real contradiction between them 
or whether or not perhaps they are discussing two different things, two different aspects, while it looks to you they are discussing the same aspect. Or the question again could be a contradiction which is not really contradictory. Like for example, uh, it is known that the Adhan or the Qama or some aspects of the prayer, it is known that the Prophet ﷺ did more than one thing, like the opening Jaha uh, and the Salat. He did more than one thing, or these were done in more than one way during the time of Prophet Muhammad So all of these narrations, although they look contradictory, they are not contradictory, they simply mean that these things can be done in more than one way. If there is a true contradiction between the two, then some of the scholars then will look to see which of the hadith is really stronger than the other, and to see if perhaps there is some weakness in one of the hadith. And if they cannot do that, then they will look to see if one of the hadith abrogates the other hadith. But in general, the most common case that you'll find between hadith that contradict each other is the case where one hadith is authentic and the other one is not. And then you simply follow, of course, the hadith which is authentic. The, the, the basic question here, the first uh, question, uh, is referring, for example, to narrators like Imam Malik and their level of uh, proficiency. And then the question is, if that is the case about such narrators, then why did they include weak hadith in their, in their books of hadith like Al-Muwatta and uh, Musnad al-Imam Ahmed and others? In other words, basically, why are these trustworthy and authentic narrators whose hadith we accept, why are they putting weak hadith in their uh, collections of hadith? Uh, with respect to uh, Musnad Ahmed, with respect to Muwatta Imam Malik, with respect to Sunan Abi Dawood and others, the answer is very clear. The answer was, is that there, it was not their intention only, include, only to include authentic hadith in their collections. And that was not their intention. For example, Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi, their intention was to include the hadith that were acted upon by the fuqaha, whether they were authentic or not. So many times they would point out defects in the hadith after recording the hadith in their own book. In other words, they knew that this hadith is weak. And they pointed out the weakness or the defect in that hadith. Musnad al-Imam Ahmed, also, uh, it was not his intention to, include, to record only authentic hadith, but it was his intention basically to record yani, a mass collection of hadith that included hadith which were not very weak or fabricated. So in other words, he would include weak hadith in, in that collection. And one of the benefits and one of the important reasons why we have to have collections that include the weak hadith or the weak narrations is that this person may know this hadith through this chain and it is weak according to the way he knows it. And somebody else may have recorded the same hadith through another chain which is also weak. But again, the weakness of these two chains may not be very great. And so therefore they may support one another and be raised to the level of Hassan. So therefore it was very important for the scholars to record hadith which also had some weakness in the chain. Either for the chain to be recognized and this is the chain and this is the weakness in it, or for the chain to be used as possible uh, supporting evidence for someone who may know another chain for that hadith. 
So therefore it was essential that they included such uh, narrations in their books. With respect to Imam Malik and his uh, Muatta, there are very few weak hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu in Muatta, Imam Malik. It is one of the uh, best works uh, of hadith, but there are some weak hadith that are based on what has been narrated in the school of Fiqh of Medina. In other words, he was narrating what they were being used, or the hadith that were being used in the school of Fiqh of the people of Medina. Now, <clears throat> so the question here basically is about uh, the books of Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim that they are both that I mentioned in the hadith that they are both uh, authentic collections. So he says, how can there be hadith which is shared in a Muslim in, in Sahih Muslim that differs from the hadith in Al Bukhari? And this is the hadith concerning those people who will uh, enter Jannah without any uh, hisab, and that they will not be, uh, any, be reckoned for their deeds. If I could ask the brother, what is the hadith, uh, the, the wording of the hadith again? Are you talking about the ones who did not any, do any ruqya or that one? No. Uh, this uh, hadith and other hadith similar to it, and again the grading of hadith is also a matter of uh, ijtihad. One scholar may conclude that a hadith is sahih and another scholar may conclude that the hadith is not sahih. So they have to study these conditions and they have to see whether or not this particular hadith meets these conditions. So for example, one narrator may not be considered uh, acceptable to one scholar of hadith while he might be considered acceptable to another. And there's many reasons why Scholars of hadith may differ in their judgment upon hadith. But in the nature, in, in, uh, what we find with respect to al-Bukhari and Muslim in general is that the differences between them have been discussed by the scholars, uh, such as Ibn Hajr and Fat al-Bari and to some extent al-Nawi in his uh, commentary on Sahih Muslim. And basically the, the, what seem to be differences or what seem to be contradictions uh, between the two of them in general, they have been removed by the scholars. In this particular hadith, I don't remember the exact problem or the exact uh, uh, contradiction between the two narrations. But uh, as I said, as a general principle, if you go to the hadiths of, uh, I mean, the books like Fat al-Bari and others, the seeming contradictions or problems between the two works have been have been discussed by the scholars and have been shown that there are no real strong or problems between the two uh, works. But as I, as I said again, with respect to this particular hadith, I don't recall what was the, the problem or the contradiction. Question here says, some of the Prophet's hadith are very deep and profound. Would you recommend a book in English that would explain hadith in more detail? And would it be unadvisable to ha- interpret hadith without guidance? With respect to the last part, yes. <laughs> uh, and interpreting hadith is like interpreting the Quran. You have the certain methodologies, certain principles that you have to follow that we discussed yesterday with respect to tafsir. But similar principles are with respect to commenting on hadith. Uh, there are not too many books that have a detailed explanation of hadith. There's the, um, 
for example, Abdul Hamid Siddiqui has a translation of Sahih Muslim where he, he adds some very useful, uh, uh, very useful comments. Uh, I hope, inshallah, to be finishing a book which is a commentary on, on the 40 hadith of, uh, Imam Nawi, the 40 hadith of Imam Nawi. And, uh, and my, my approach was, uh, in that, in writing that book was to give as full an explanation as possible. So the book is right now around 13 or 1400 pages for 40 hadith. And we hope, inshallah, that that will be published in uh, October or November or December or January, February, March, one of those uh, upcoming months, inshallah.